hello to you. If you're on Facebook Live, make sure to give a shout out where you're watching from. Now, this particular Sunday is a Sunday that just kind of lands in a soft spot. Have you, you thought about that? I mean, we had this Christmas Eve services three nights ago, and it's not quite 2021. So we kind of land in an interesting spot. The last few years, I've been uh, having other people speak on this particular Sunday. But as some of you know, I had some weeks off dealing with illness. And so um, I am very enthusiastic about what I have to share with you today. Because, you know, I don't know if this is so much a sermon. If someone was a professor of sermon somewhere, they might not say, well, that's not a true sermon what Aaron's giving today. But I want to share from my heart uh, as, as I look to 2021, because this is a time that a lot of us are reflective. You know, the calendar is something that just helps us mark the years of our life are the progress of our life, and it makes us reflective. And I'm often reflective between kind of that Christmas, uh, you know, the day after Christmas into like January 2nd, January 3rd. I'm reflective during that time. So I want to share with you kind of what uh, the way I think about success, and, and not only has it been the way I've thought up to this point, but as I project into the future. So the title of my message is going to sound very much like a, um, I don't know, like a motivational talk or something. But stick with me because I want to share some scriptures that, that will really show you God's perspective. Here's the title, From Vision to Success. And we're going to go through a process today, From Vision to Success, with some other kind of characteristics in between. Right away, for some of us, Those words can feel intimidating. I mean, those words can feel like, oh, this feels like pressure. And the word vision is a tired word, a word that has been used a lot. And and honestly, a lot of times I associate the word vision with disappointment. And in some ways, vision is always disappointing because like we have a vision of where we want to go and we always just almost get there. We don't It's very rare that we completely um, get to the vision. And and that's part of, I think, how God pushes us forward. Because if if the full vision always came to pass, we just come to rest and arrive and say, okay, I have accomplished what God wanted me to, nothing else to consider. So we're always kind of grasping for vision. And because of that, vision can be associated with disappointment. In addition, vision can be associated with pressure because like, you're thinking, oh man, I don't want all of the weight of a vision. I, I, people ask me all the time, well, what's the vision for the church or what's your vision? And, and, and I kind of feel like a lot's on the line when I'm asked that. Like I better answer right because if my vision isn't impressive enough or it's not compelling enough or it's not convincing enough, then I've failed this question. So that, that's kind of, I want to start there with the, those are some of the kind of pitfalls to the word vision. And so our first word category, if you're taking notes, we're not on you version this week. Uh, our, our, our office manager, she's been ill. But if you want to write the word success down, that's going to be the first of five words in our process. And, and I, want, I want you to see the scripture that a lot of you have heard before in the King James Version. So that's the version I'm going to share it with. Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way. Where there is no vision the people perish. Now I want you to think about your life. Is there something inside of you that feels like it's kind of just dying or shrinking up? 
uh, almost like you're, you're kind of emotionally dehydrated. You're, you're just kind of less of who you once were, and you feel like something's shrinking or dying within you. One of the reasons could be is a lack of vision. Like you've lost your vision because you don't want to be disappointed again, or you don't want the pressure of a vision, or, or simply put is you don't want to take the risk again. And so I want you to see the next few minutes that vision is a good thing for you, and it's not something that you should avoid with the Lord, with the Spirit of God. It is an outflow of your relationship with Him. Joel 2.28 says it this way, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The Holy Spirit's on all people. And here's the results of that. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. So I want you to see, first of all, that activity of the Holy Spirit brings about vision in your life. I could do an exercise right now. You've probably gone through something like this, you know, in high school or something like that, or maybe in a uh, kind of a activity at your work. I'm going to pass out a piece of paper. We're going to spend five minutes, and I want you to write out a vision for your life in 2021. And that might be helpful. It might be beneficial. Sometimes just having a window of time is helpful for us. But a lot of times when we do that, the vision comes from us. It comes from within. It comes from our imagination. It becomes from our self-interest. It comes from our preference. But I want you to see from Joel 2.28 that when you walk with the Lord, when you walk with the Holy Spirit, you begin to have a vision, and it's God's vision for your life. And when that happens, it's not scary, and there's not pressure, and really there's not even disappointment. It kind of takes away all of those things because vision is coming from your relationship with God. So if you feel like you're dying inside, and part of the reason you're dying inside is because you don't have a vision for your life anymore or you have a vision aversion, that you're a little scared of a vision, the place to start is spending time with the Lord. Prayer and, and, and thinking in the presence of God and exposure to scripture and being part of the community of God and being a person who worships. All of these things generate Holy Spirit awareness. And when the Holy Spirit touches your life, you're gonna have new vision. You're gonna have new vision. And so I want us to look into 2021 and this is what I'm doing. I'm asking for Holy Spirit-connected vision. Because vision is only good when vision is submitted. So vision can actually be dangerous when it comes from us. It can actually be a distraction when it's manufactured from within. But when vision is submitted to God, then it's a good thing. When vision is submitted to God, then we know that he's directing our life and he is align aligning things. Now, when it comes to goal setting, I mean, 2020, like you, we dealt with factors we didn't realize. So, so as you have a vision, I don't want your vision to be so much task-oriented or numbers-driven or, or even, you know, a, a vision for things that you can't control. Here's where a good place for a vision for us as God's people what kind of person does God want you to be a year from now? See, that's a much more important question than like, where will I be in my career? Or what will I accomplish? Or what will the data say? To be able to say, what kind of person will I be? 
And I'm, I'm just going to remind you of this, is that if every single one of us has this vision for our life, and here is a vision, that a year from now, we're going to love Jesus more, and we're going to love people more. That vision touches every part of our lives. Like if we're people who are more in love with Jesus and the things of God and the scripture and all that comes with Jesus, and that love spills over, spills over to loving people too, our life will be successful, our life will be satisfying, our life will be completely fulfilling. So that's where it starts. And I want you to begin to think about 2021. And I want you to know this, that you're going to be a person who loves the Lord more. And you're going to be a person who loves people more. And that is the baseline of success. Because actually, if you have every other thing and accomplish every other goal that you've manufactured, but you miss your love, you miss the love, then we've been self-deceived. And we've forgotten what really matters. So now we're looking to the next year, knowing that Goals attached to tasks and numbers, we can't often control those types of dynamics. But we can say, Lord, who can you make me? And so now we think about our health. A lot of us will be thinking about our health in the next few days. And that's all Americans will be thinking about their health. So let that, let that just be something that, that you submit to the Lord. But let's talk about our roles. What about the roles that we have? If you're married, what about your role as a spouse? Can you have a vision to say, I can be, God, with your help, a better spouse in 2021? As, as this calendar kind of marks my life, God, you can help me become a better spouse. A lot of us are praying for a better spouse instead of praying for us to become that better spouse. So it's not about, Lord, change them as much as it is, Lord, change me. And that's a much more difficult prayer to pray. So if you're single and if you have a a desire to be married in the future, or God has called you to be married, he hasn't called everyone to be married, but as a single person, and you, you can say, well, why aren't there any girls out there, godly girls, or why aren't there any godly men? Instead say, let me be that godly Man, let me be that godly woman. Let let me be the person someone else needs instead of complaining about who I don't have. As a family member, a child, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, be the best family member that you can be because that's the role God's given you now. A lot of times we try to imagine a different life. And we have a vision for a life that's different when we don't see that he's given us a life today. And we are a son. We are a daughter. We are a cousin. We are a nephew. We are a grandparent. We are a granddaughter. And those roles are what we already have. So, Lord, make me better in those roles instead of me trying to create a new role. What about as a church participant? Someone who's part of the family of God. Someone who's part of of the church family, because that's really what we are, guys. We are a church family. How can we grow the family? How can we grow in love towards one another? How can we be a family expecting guests and we increase our family, not just because we're accumulating more people, but because we're pulling more people into these dynamic relationships that make people love Jesus more? What about as an employee? Some of you, frankly, are not good employees, and it reflects poorly on Jesus Christ. 
and you ought to be a better employee in 2021. You shouldn't wish that you were in charge when you're not acting uh, like an honorable person in your job. Why don't you be the person you would love to hire if you were in charge? Why don't you have a great attitude? Why don't you avoid gossip among the other employees? Why don't you be punctual? Why don't you give your whole heart and enthusiasm to the work you already have? God may have a different job for you. God may have a company for you to start. God may have something for you to invent or something for you to create, but you won't be ready until you know how to be a good employee and follower now. So why don't you have a vision for the job you have now? Instead of, Lord, give me something different. Lord, let me excel in what I already have. As just a leader, we undervalue what we have today and what the opportunities we have today. And God says this, is that look into 2021 and say, Lord, help me become a better leader at my school. Let me become a better leader in the band I play in. Let me be a better leader in the team that I'm on. Let me be a better leader in, in the club that I'm a part of. Let me be a better leader in the 242 group I'm a part of. Let me be a better leader in the volunteer areas that I'm a part of. Let me take what you've already given me, God, and let me have a vision to become better for your glory and for your kingdom. I say all of this is that I don't want you to be scared of vision. No longer should vision be an intimidating word and a word that we associate with failure and disappointment. Instead, vision can be something that can project us into the future and we have a foretaste of who we are and God can take who we already are and he can it and make us greater in all of our roles as spouses, family members, church participants, employees, leaders. So I, I am calling you and me to dream again, to dream about what God can do through a humble person, a person who's not so impressed with themselves more than they are impressed with the God who created them. So it starts with vision. Have a vision of who God wants you to be. But guys, once we have a vision, a vision usually isn't enough. Here's the second, second part of the process, the word motivation. A lot of people start out with a vision, but they, they never understand the concept of motivation. And I want to talk to you about motivation. And I want you to listen carefully to the statement, then I'll unpack it. Motivation doesn't come upon us. Motivation is created. So there's not going to be a time where all of a sudden the spirit of motivation comes over us. What happens is, is that as we step into the things God's called us to do, or into the person he's called us to be, that produces motivation in us. And every one of you take a step of motivation every day and you don't realize it. The first step of motivation every day is for those who are able to, to get out of bed. I mean, if not, a lot of us would like to just stay in bed all morning long. Stay in bed just as long as we can. It doesn't matter what our responsibilities are. It doesn't matter what we're supposed to do. You know, there's just something within us that just wants to stay in bed. And I understand that some people that can be diagnosed as a clinical depression, and I'm not belittling that. But I'm talking about just normal, the normal part of us that just isn't very motivated. When you wake up in that dark room in that comfortable bed. Maybe you're, you're different than me, but I'm not like, whoa, I'm motivated to get up right now. 
no way, man, I want to stay at rest. And so getting my feet on the floor is the first step of motivation that leads to more motivation during the day. So motivation isn't something that, that some of us have a, a, a kind of a spirit come over us. As we do the things God's called us to do, the progress of accomplishment causes us to feel motivated. As we step into the things God's called us to do, then the feelings of motivation come. We don't wait until we're motivated to start. We start and then we become motivated. Now, for about 15 years, uh, Beth and I would ride to church separately. <laughs> and that's just how, how things rolled. I, liked, I used to like to be here and be the first person on campus. That was important to me. I realized back then it didn't matter if I was two hours before anyone else showed up or two minutes before anyone showed up. If I was the first one here, people thought I'd been here all morning long. So it didn't matter. You just, just had to get there two minutes before anyone else. And some Sundays it would be two hours and some Sundays it would be two minutes. And so we would take separate cars. Our kids are older now. They're driving and stuff. So we started about a, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, we started riding together to church every week. And it has its good and bad components to it. Um, Beth, is on, she's on Facebook Live right now being our moderator. So, um, you know, she can, she can give her perspective to those, those of you watching Facebook Live. Uh, but but it, can, it can become tense in the morning because I'm on a schedule and she's on a schedule and those schedules don't always blend. It's great after church. After church is awesome because we got one car after church. We can go to lunch together. So it's like, is the payoff worth it? I mean, is it worth it to go through all this angst, you know, just to be able to ride home together. Uh, but part of it is this. Now, you guys know I get paid to come to church. There's like three or four of us here today that actually got paid to come to church today. And I'm very grateful for that. In addition to getting paid to come to church, I've got about a 35 to 40 minute slot that I can say whatever I want to. So you would think, and it is true, that I would look forward to going to church every week. And, and I do. Except when I first wake up in the morning. And the bed is so comfortable and it's so dark. And you guys, listen, don't look at me like you're all sanctified and pious on that either. Now you, you are here, you're watching right now, but sometimes Sunday mornings, it's like, oh man. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm giving the sermon and, and getting compensated for it. And I'm like, oh man, should I go or should I not? You know, or I wish I could sleep in. So here's the deal. Every time I come to church, as soon as I get here, I'm glad I'm here. First conversation I have with a sound man or Pastor Aubrey, I'm glad I'm here. The friendship, the sense of the spirit of God, the, 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 the fellowship, all of it, I love it. I love it. It's just hard when the day starts. So every week when Beth and I get into our car and we start the engine, I tell her the same thing every week now for about a year and a half I say, the hardest part of Sunday is over. It's true. The hardest part of Sunday is just getting into the car. And once you're in the car, man, it's downhill from there, man. It's all good from there. 
So this principle, this is not me, I'm not circling the wagon on church attendance right now because I, I support those who are mitigating and so forth. I'm using this as an illustration to apply to your life professionally or to apply to anything that God's called you to do. It's the engagement and the first step and, and getting engaged when you don't feel like it produces motivation. If you wait until you feel like it, you won't do it. If you have a neighbor that it would be a good idea to take them a meal for whatever reason, maybe they're ill or something, and, and you think, you know, tomorrow I may take them a meal or I may not. I'll see how I feel. You've already said no. There's a 95% chance you're not going to do it. Okay? But if you decide ahead of time, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. As you begin to buy the ingredients and cook or whatever, then you feel good and you feel motivated and you're in. You're in and you're ready to go. All right, so I want us to go look at this story. It's a, it's a fun story, but I think it backs up what I've been telling you. 2 Kings chapter 7, starting with verse 3. Now, four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the city gate. Now, let me just remind you, uh, skin disease meant something much different at the time of this writing, it meant you were a social outcast, ostracized, you couldn't make a living, you couldn't be part of the community, you couldn't even be with your family because these skin diseases were contagious. And they said to each other, and I highlighted these words, why just sit here until we die? <laughs> Isn't that a good question? Why just sit here until we die? And so this is what happened. If, if we say, verse four, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we will also die. So now, come on, let's surrender to the Arameans camp. And if they let us live, we will live. And if they kill us, we will die. Verse five, so the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Arameans camp. And when they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that no one was there. This is quite shocking. And here's the reason why, verse six. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sounds of chariots, horses, and a large army. The Arameans had said to each other, the king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact and they had fled for their lives. I love that story because it has a why not attitude. Hey, we're going to die if we stay here, and we may die if we go into the camp. But why not? Why not take a risk? Why not try something different? And when I, when I think about 2021, I want to ask you this. Why not do something different? Instead of just saying, I'm going to stay here in this death that I'm still in. Why not go to counseling? How's it worked all these years that you've been too prideful to go to counseling? One of the most difficult calls that I've ever made is when I was, I was a pastor of this church years ago, probably eight, 10 years ago. And when I called a counselor because my marriage was struggling at the time, it was one of the most difficult calls that I made, but it was the best call that I made because not only has that helped my marriage, but it's helped marriages of people here. When I say, Hey, why don't you go to marriage counseling? Oh, I don't go to marriage counseling. I'm like, I go. I go, I've been. So, so why not this be the year 
that you say, instead of, instead of letting death come to this marriage, we're going we're gonna to invest into this marriage. Why not this be the year you prioritize church? How's it worked out the last few years being lukewarm? Having one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world. Why not say, hey, we're going to make church a priority. We're going to make Awana a priority. We're going to make youth ministry a priority. You know, and, and assuming all of, and we know that there's all of those factors that we need to consider to stay safe, but we also know that we can't just die spiritually. You know, and, and, and for our children and teenagers, we have to get them the word of the Lord and the fellowship of God's people. And, and we have to, to engage. So why not this year prioritize church? Why not pray for people to be healed? We talk about healing. We believe in it. So why not actually say, let me pray that God would remove this cancer from you. Let me pray that God would help you with this migraine. Let me pray that, that God would, would intervene in, in this, this illness, this virus that you're dealing with. You see, if none of us pray for people to be healed, then people probably will never be healed. But if we begin to pray more often for people to be healed, then it allows our sovereign God to break his kingdom into a situation. So why not just, instead of just being someone who positionally believes God heals, be someone who can engage and actually pray that God heals. Why not apply for the job you think you'll never get? You see, there's a, there's a job in your company or there's a job that you want and, and you may say, I'm not qualified and I'm not gonna get that, and so I'm not gonna take the risk. Go ahead and apply and guess what might happen? You might get rejected. But guess what else might happen? You might get the job. So why not? Why not? Why not allow God to do something that you didn't think he could do? Why not take a risk? Why, why not engage in something that is gonna challenge you and it's gonna be something that's going to stretch you? You could be like these two men with a skin disease. You can just stay at the city gates and keep getting the results you've always gotten or you can engage into the enemy camp with no guarantee of success and maybe God will do the miraculous for you in you and, and it all happens when you initiate and you show uh, some motivation. So motivation is not going to come into your life. Motivation is gonna be created when you take a step forward. Okay, so once you have a vision and once you create motivation, here's the third thing. You will have, this is not the fun part, but, but I love you, so I'm gonna tell you, you will have adversity. Write it down. You will have adversity. Don't believe, it's foolish to believe just because we have a vision to become a better person and we're motivated, then we'll never have hard times. See, hard times is something that the enemy wants to use to sidetrack you, but hard times is also something God uses to create his work in you. So adversity comes and the enemy wants to take adversity and to take you out and to take you out of the game. But God takes that same adversity and says, I'm gonna shape your character and I'm gonna mold you into the person I've made you to be. Jesus, he is so wonderful to study and follow. 
because he has such a diverse personality. I mean, he, he's fully human, fully God. We get to see so much of Jesus in the Gospels, and that's why it's good to keep reading the Gospels. I love what happened in Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 31. At the same time, some Pharisees came and told him, go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. Let's stay there for a second. So these Pharisees, maybe some of them admired Jesus and wanted to protect him. Maybe some of them wanted to use this threat as an excuse to get rid of Jesus. It was probably a mixed bag between the Pharisees. Now, I love Jesus's response. Verse 32, you're gonna love this. He said to them, go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will complete my work. Isn't that cool? Jesus said, tell that fox, Herod, that I'm gonna continue to cast out demons and perform healings today, tomorrow. And then he foreshadows his, rec- his resurrection. And on the third day, I will complete my work. He goes on and says, yes, it's necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next because it's not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. So again, he knew the connection between the holy city and the prophetic, but he was in control. That's the point. He was in control and this was adversity. The religious leader said, get out of here, Jesus. Maybe some had good intentions. Maybe some had evil intentions. They're like, get out of here, Jesus. And he said, hey, listen, I, I'm gonna overcome this adversity. I'm gonna finish the task that God has put before me. Successful people, and that's what I believe God's called you to be, have others in their life who won't allow them to quit on a bad day. I want you to think about that for a second. It may be a parent, it may be a friend, it may be a teacher, a coach. Successful people have others in their lives who don't let them quit on a bad day. In our 9 a.m. service, one of our overseers, Mike Burnett, he, he surprised us, or he told me last night he was going to come, but his church is all digital today in Clarksville, so he and his family came today, and it was a blessing to have them here. Mike and I have been walking together for a long time, and I'm an overseer at his church and he at our church. And man, there's been times where both of us have had days where we wanted to quit. The enemy may have been stirring that up, but we encourage one another. Beth is watching this right now. If there's been anyone in my life who's encouraged me not to quit, it's been Beth. So you have those people in your life. You just have to value them and know who they are because there's gonna be a day you're gonna wanna quit too early. There's gonna become a day where you're gonna wanna disengage from your marriage. There's gonna come a day when you're gonna not wanna complete the project you committed to. There's gonna come a day when you're gonna be like, those kids, God, they're yours. They're no longer mine anymore. And those are the days that you've gotta have people in your life that God uses to help you not quit. And I, I want you to realize you are one of those people. Do not underestimate what God can do when you have coffee with someone or when you go to lunch or even when you text someone. You don't have any idea how your words at the right time may be life to people and may change things. So when you have a vision and you tap into motivation and you overcome adversity, now I'm gonna give you something really, really enjoyable. There is something beautiful that we that we have when we make good choices, but we don't always recognize it's a word momentum. Momentum is a gift that we often take for granted and we appreciate later on in life. The book of Acts 
is all tells us many, many updates of momentum coming and going. It'll say the church added 3,000 people in one day. And then it'll say the next chapter, well, um, many people were killed in Jerusalem. And then, then they'll have another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then they'll have another scattering. And it lets us know that life is a little bit like that. We have times of momentum and we have times of adversity and God can be at work in both of them. Earlier this week, just in my personal devotions, I ran across one of those progress report scriptures. And, and if, if you've read the Bible a long time, this has probably happened to you too. You'll, you'll just have scriptures and you're like, I never noticed that before. What in the world? So here's one of those, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. Now look at this, the part I've never noticed before. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. That's pretty cool to know that the priests who were taking care of the temple and who were going through all the temple um, procedures believed that, hey, Jesus really is the Messiah. And and what a time of great momentum for the church. Guys, I I want to say a couple of things about momentum as we're we're moving along here. Um, Motivation, I've already talked about, you're taking steps to create momentum. So when you create motivation in your life, continually making good decisions will create positive momentum for you. So I want to encourage you to keep making those good decisions even when you don't see the fruit. Some of you who, if you you have good momentum in your life right now, like you've paid off debt, maybe you have good financial momentum. Listen, stay after it. Maintain that momentum. Don't start making foolish decisions financially. You you have a good relationship with your kids right now. Don't take that for granted. Continue to invest in your kids. Continue to invest and maintain momentum. And and then a a last category here are those of you who have lost momentum in your life. Because I've been there before and and I think all of us in our walk with the Lord are just even being human beings. We'll lose momentum professionally. We'll lose momentum in our marriage. We'll lose momentum in our search for marriage. We'll lose momentum um, um, in in a, a relationship that we have. And this is good news for you today as a believer. In the natural, it's hard to regain that momentum. But with God, all things are impossible. And God is about a new work. And God is about recreating within us. I mean, he recreated us as people. And he wants to recreate that momentum in you. So if you feel like you've lost momentum in an area important to you, don't despair. Turn to the Lord and he will give you new momentum. Okay, here's the last word. And it was in the title, the word success. The word success. And again, this is a word that has been stolen from the world and has been polluted. Even sometimes there's a lot of Christians who have this aversion, like don't say success, but I want you to see here the purpose of success. William Carey um, in the 19th century, he influenced the world for Christ by inspiring dozens and I could even say hundreds of missionaries, maybe thousands even. Um, Because of William Carey, the gospel today He is one of the people God used in India and then the missions movement in Africa and even China. In 1792, he started a mission society that sent missionaries all over the world. And he said this, one of my favorite quotes in 1792, he said this as he commissioned and started this missionary society. He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Isn't that a great way to live? We expect God to do something great and we're gonna attempt something great. 
And that's why we as believers, we move towards success, not for our glory, but for his glory. Not for our name, but for his name. Not for our fame, because earthly fame is fleeting, but for the name of the Lord that we may make it famous and known. The book of Revelation gives us insight into our future. And this passage in Revelation 4 gives insight into the throne of God and what occurs at the throne of God. It's the place God is taking us to. It's where our future is. Revelation chapter 4, starting with verse 9. It says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns. Have you ever heard of the group casting crowns? Yeah, yeah, that's where this comes from. And they cast their crowns before the throne. They take, they take their accomplishments and they cast it down before Jesus and say, why do they do this? And they say, look at verse 11. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. See, guys, here's the deal. We're going to stand before the throne of God. And we're going to see how incredible Jesus is and how, how incomparable he is. And it's going to be greater than anything we've ever accomplished in this world or in this life. And we're going to see how great he is in everything we've accomplished. I don't know if we're going to have round silver things on our head. We may. But I have a feeling that those crowns represent everything important to us. You know, building of a great family, building of a great career. You know, accumulating wealth so that we have security. You know, for in my context, uh, building a church. It's like CIL Church. Here we have all this property, 17 acres. We have this beautiful building. We, all the laughter we've had, all the sense of family we've had, all the things that my family has spent years, and many of the families in here today have spent years building. And we built this thing called CIL Church. And, and here it is. We're going to stand before the throne of God, and he's going to be so mighty and powerful. We're going to take all of those earthly accomplishments, and we're going to say, here it is, God. Here's my athletic ability. Here's my ability to make money. God, here's my ability to have a, 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 and now because I've seen how great you are, I'm throwing it at your feet. I'm giving it to you. And guys, that's where we go from vision to success. Vision, not to just accomplish things, but vision to be great people for the Lord. Because on that day we stand before the Lord, everything that we've accomplished, everything important to us, everything of value in this world, we're gonna be able to throw at the feet of Jesus because he deserves it and he is worthy. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? I want us to look one more time, put verse 11 up. This is why we'll throw our crowns at the feet of our Lord Jesus because our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will, they exist and were created. These last couple of minutes we have together before I give our benediction, uh, if you want to take communion, you'll have a chance to do that. I won't give instructions on that. You can take that as an individual or with someone you care about. You may want to go get your Bible back out and look at that passage and just put in the margin or mark on your digital Bible that the Lord spoke to you a particular scripture. 
You may wanna just reflect on this time together, may wanna come to this front area, but just in a couple of minutes, after Pastor Aubrey leads us in worship, I'll come and give our benediction today. As we prepare to go to the Lord's table, uh, I wanna lead us in a prayer of confession, calling on the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to do his work. And especially that middle part that prepares our heart for communion when we say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray this now. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. Let's spend some time with the Lord. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes.